As we come now to this particular time of year that, that we set aside to remember the last week of the life of Jesus our Lord, today being Palm Sunday, that day that he entered into Jerusalem uh, just several days before his crucifixion, and next Sunday as we celebrate Easter, the resurrection, his resurrection from the dead. Join me this morning in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. John's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Consider, if you would, with me this morning, the importance of context and significance for understanding important stories, important events in history. It's not enough to have a, a simple, basic, factual headline in a newspaper. We need, we need news that conveys to us the importance of what is actually going on. For instance, if you were to read in a newspaper this headline, men in summer heat write their names and find cursive, that headline would tell you nothing really about the significance of the events of July 4th, 1776. Likewise, if you read the headline, Austrian immigrant elected to public office, tell you nothing about the day in which Adolf Hitler was elected prime minister and ultimately dictator in 1933 of Germany and the aftermath of what came from his leadership there. Similarly, headline, it went something like, middle-aged woman boards public transit. Would tell you virtually nothing about the woman Rosa Parks and the day that she would not give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955. Likewise, if we were to put a headline over John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, something like, man rides donkey over dead leaves. <laughs> would, would tell us virtually nothing about that first Palm Sunday some nearly 2,000 years ago, and the significance of that event. Here in John chapter 12, that first Palm Sunday, Jesus is hailed as king by those who greet him on his way into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey over the the, uh, cloaks of the disciples and the uh, palm leaves that were laid in front of him. It's a a glorious, exciting, celebratory event, and yet... With all of the excitement that's going on there, with all of the adulation of Jesus being king, those who are there receiving him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king, we find miss the real reason that he is king. They, they, they see what's going on and they are yet blind to the significance of what is happening in front of them. The call for us who, who see through the lens of history, through the perspective of the resurrection of Jesus, who who read John 12, 12 through 19 together, what we need to do, knowing and, and seeing in a moment how those who received Jesus missed all of the significance of, of what it really meant for him to be king, the call for us today is to lift our eyes, to not have such an earthy, plain uh, insignificant view of who Jesus is, but to lift our eyes and to see the King for who He is, to see Jesus in the full context of the significance of what happened on that day. Would you stand with me as you're comfortably able, as we honor God by reading His Word, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. There the Apostle John, disciple of Jesus, writes in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, the next day, a large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 
His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Lift your eyes. See the true context. See the deeper significance of what is going on in this event in Jesus' life. See the king for who he is. Let's take a moment and just consider the context of of the events and what is going on on this day, this first Palm Sunday. Uh, The events that we just read here in John chapter 12 take place just a few days after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, a town not far away from Jerusalem. We we find in verses 17 and 18 that the, the crowd that came to meet Jesus outside of Jerusalem came because of the witness of the crowd in Bethany that had seen Jesus call Lazarus out of the tomb. They were there to welcome Jesus in part because of the influence of those that had seen him do this great sign of bringing this man out from the dead. This is the the day that Jesus enters is the start of Passover week. Uh, one of the most uh, joyous, uh, joyous and, and, and holiest of weeks in the life of the people of Israel. There's a feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread that lasted for six days prior to the Passover, uh, the Passover meal itself. The Passover, you'll remember, is a meal that reminds the people of Israel of God's deliverance from the angel of death, that tenth plague that passed over Egypt uh, before the people of Israel were delivered from slavery to be a people to God. And so uh, during that week of uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, during Passover week, many people, Jews from all over the Roman world, would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem if they were able And so this city, Jerusalem, which normally had a population of about 40,000, could swell to over a million during that one week with all of these people coming to that town. So the crowd that comes to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem should not be a surprise to us. There are already a lot of people there. Now, the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem as a king has all of the right elements, uh, particularly we as Christians who, who call Jesus King of Kings. We call him Lord of Lords, as Scripture leads us to do. We look at this and we say, yeah, it's got all the right stuff that you would expect for welcoming a king. There's a road into the kingdom. In fact, Jerusalem, we know, was the capital of the nation of Israel. It's where David, uh, that first good king, of course, Saul was king before him, but it's the place that David had chosen as the capital for the city of Israel. In fact, the road that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that day was a road that David, as king, had probably ridden in on himself, victorious in battle, maybe over the Philistines or uh, or other people that they had been having uh, um, uh, war campaigns against. There is also a crowd of enthusiastic citizens. So you've got the right road going into the right city, littered with people who are excited about the one who is coming. We think back to those, those royal parades that, that would have taken place after a king had defeated someone in battle, coming into the city with the cheers and adulation of the crowds that were welcoming him back. We have all of the instruments for celebration that are here. Palm branches uh, did not come probably from Jerusalem. Palms aren't native to Jerusalem, but they are native to nearby Jericho. And so the people would have brought palms with them for the Feast of Unleavened Bread because the city of 40,000 swells to over a million. People don't really have places to stay. 
And so they would build shelters, temporary shelters for themselves out of palms, but at the same time, uh, showing palms, waving palms as a king came into uh, the city was a regular Jewish custom. So they have all these proper instruments for celebration with them. They even sing the right song as Jesus is going in. Verse 13, they sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This is a song of the people of Israel. It's a Jewish song that comes to us from Psalm chapter one or Psalm 118. They sing Hosanna. That word Hosanna is a Greek transliteration of, the, of a similar Hebrew word that means salvation is here or save us now. So as, as the king is coming in, they're singing salvation is here. Save us. Hosanna was a word that was sung not just to the king in, in, in the context of Psalm 118, but a, a word that was sung to God for his victory in battle against the enemies of his people. God, you have saved us. Salvation is here. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Again, from Psalm 118. Now, Psalm 118, if you go back and look at it this week, you'll notice is a, is a royal psalm. It's a, it's a Jewish kingship psalm. It's a song that was, that was sung of the people of Israel as the king, uh, probably David and kings afterward, would have approached and entered the city of Jerusalem, coming in maybe from battle or from uh, some other political uh, event. And as the king would enter the city, the song would be sung. And you can kind of trace the, the, the progression of the, of the psalm in geographic terms as you read through it. It seems like it starts outside the city along the road, and then it moves closer to the city. We, we, in the psalm, we, we see the people entering in through the gates of the city and going even to the temple. So there's a, a progression there. The people are singing this psalm of, uh, of remembering, recognizing God's salvation and the good things that he's done through his leaders and how all of that ends up in worship in the place of God's dwelling in the temple. There's a road to the kingdom. There's a celebratory crowd. They got all the right instruments for celebrating this king. They sing the right song. And then you've even got a king himself, Jesus. The one that they say, blessed is he who's coming, come in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. All the right elements are in place for this story. There's even the right animal for him to ride on. A donkey. Now, donkeys are not animals that you take into war. They're uh, rather stubborn. They're not particularly quick. But they are really good animals for having around on the farm, right? They're strong. They're slow, but they're strong. They're stubborn, so they'll keep going even if you maybe push them pretty hard. Uh, donkeys are animals that are used in peacetime, not wartime. They're used in, uh, on the farm. They're used to, to help to, to plow crops and to... Uh, sow seed and and they're helpful in bringing in the harvest as you're able to load burdens on their backs donkeys are animals of peace not animals of war so when jesus rides in on this donkey he's making a statement about what kind of king he's going to be he's going to be a peaceful king normally kings returning from battle would ride in on horses or in chariots or on camels all of these were animals of war that spoke to the king's military prowess and victory to his strength, to the fact that he had squashed his enemies. But this king is different. He rides on an animal, an animal of peace, a donkey. Now, this is a, a move that has been set up by Jesus himself. We read in Mark's gospel, chapter 11, that Jesus told his disciples to go ahead of him into the city, and he would find a donkey, a colt, a colt of a donkey, uh, tied up, 
And they were to go to the owner of that donkey and say, the Lord has need of this animal. And they were to bring the donkey to Jesus. And John doesn't give us that in his gospel, but we have it in the others. So Jesus is intentionally choosing this animal. It wasn't there by accident. It wasn't there by happenstance. You've got all the right elements for this story to take place. All of the right things in place to say, hey, here is our king. And yet we see in the lives of the people all the wrong understanding of the significance of these events. Verse 16 tells us that even his disciples were confused about what was happening. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Now, now, if you're there that day and you see Jesus riding in on a donkey to crowds of people saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, you would think, what, what is there to be confused about? Right? The people are saying, here's the King. And yet the disciples are, are confused about it. They don't understand it. Which likewise, I, I think implies that the people, even as they're saying, blessed is the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even they misunderstood what it meant. And in fact, the disciples were not able to understand the significance, the, the deeper context, the real story taking place until Jesus had been raised from the dead. So we have the road into Jerusalem. That's right. There's nothing really wrong with that. You've got a crowd. That's not a bad thing. Then there's the song that they sing. The song that they sing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The song is the right song to sing. We know that Jesus is the king. From the perspective of the resurrection, we look on this and we're like, yeah, of course they would say that. But we're looking at it from the perspective of, of, of after the resurrection, the perspective of the disciples after Jesus was glorified. We're able to see much of the significance here, but the people in that day missed it. Salvation, they sing. Hosanna, salvation is here. Save us. Their idea of salvation was not the idea of salvation that Jesus came to fulfill that week. I can guarantee you not a single one of the people in this crowd that day thought in their minds, salvation is here because the Messiah has come to die on a cross. Not a one of them thought that. We can look through the Old Testament, and we can look through intertestamental literature, those 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, where other things were being written by the people uh, of Israel, and we can look at the kind of salvation that they were expecting. And the salvation that they were expecting was not a salvation from sin through a crucified Savior, but a salvation from the tyrannical rule of the Greeks and the Romans that had ruled over them. Because at this time, Israel was not an independent nation. Now, they had governors and that sort of thing, but they had no king. There was a Caesar in Rome who ruled over them. The salvation that they wanted and that was demonstrated historically was not a salvation from sin. What they were looking for was a salvation from political oppression. So when they sing, when they sing Hosanna, salvation is here, in their minds what they're thinking is, finally, those cotton-stinking, dadgum Romans are going to get out of here. This king is going to kick them out. The king that they wanted was a geopolitical king. They wanted the next David, the, the, the one who would wage war against their en- enemies and, and establish peace and prosperity and independence. They missed the fact that the king who's coming, the salvation that's on its way, is, is a greater salvation than, than a geopolitical one. It's a better salvation than, a politi- than, 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 than salvation from uh, oppressive enemies. The salvation that Jesus brings is, is, is not, is not a, a political system just the way you want it. The salvation that he brings is, is rescue from sin and death, our greatest enemy. The salvation that he brings is, is one from our rebellion against God to now bring us in peace with God. 
the people were praising him as a geopolitical king. And so it's, it's no wonder that at the end of the week when he was hanging there on the cross that they were so disappointed. The one we hailed as king is now dead on a hill. What were we thinking? It's all the right elements, but all the wrong understanding. The song they sing is the right song, but the way that they sing it is with all the wrong expectations. And then there's even the king. Now, of course, the presence of Jesus, him being called king, is, is right. That, that's not wrong, but all the implications for what kind of king he would be are totally misplaced by these people. It's right for them to call Jesus king, to call him Christ, to call him Messiah. That word Messiah is a Hebrew word, which means anointed. It was a word that was used of all kings in Israel, the anointed one of God. Saul was anointed the first king. David was anointed king. They were, they were if we could put it this way, Mashiach. That's not how you would say it, but they were anointed. They were uh, anointed by God. The word Christ is a, is a Greek translation of that word Messiah. It means the same thing, anointed one. They call him king, anointed by God, but they miss what sort of king he really is. Again, not a geopolitical king, not a warrior king, but a different one altogether. We see that this is not the first time that Jesus has been called Christ, that he's been called the anointed one. And that's a good thing. If we just turn back a chapter to chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, the moments leading up to the time, uh, to, to, to the event where Jesus would call Lazarus, that dear friend of his that had died, calling him out of the tomb. He has a conversation with Lazarus's sister, Martha. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one of God, the Messiah, the son of God who is coming into the world. So to call Jesus king by this crowd was not necessarily the wrong thing to call him and perhaps Their calling him king was even influenced by what Martha had confessed about Jesus in Bethany just a few days before. Remember, the crowd that was there uh, was influenced by a group of people from Bethany who saw Lazarus raised from the dead. So they're calling him king, but do they really know what they mean by that? Jesus comes not to be a warrior king, but to be a shepherd king. He comes not to push all of the Romans out of Jerusalem and to establish an independent geopolitical Israel again. Instead, he comes as a, as a king who, who cares for his people, who shepherds his people. We read in John 10 as Jesus is telling those that are around him that he is the good shepherd, that he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Does that sound like a warrior to you? Does that sound like a person who's, who's trying to kill all the enemies? No, he's a king who sacrifices himself for the benefit of those that he's leading. He's not a warrior king, he's a shepherd king. Now, Jesus does fight a battle as king. He does wage war as a king, but it's not a battle against enemy nations. It's a battle, it's a war against the disastrous effects of our sin. So this is the reality that Scripture shows to us time and time again, that that God in heaven is holy. He who created everything is perfect in every way. And that he made us in his image to to bear his character in the world, to bring him glory and honor and praise in all that we do. And yet we have not honored God as holy. We have instead sought to live life on our own terms, to follow our own desires, to live life the way I want to live life. 
And in so doing, we have sinned against Him. We have broken fellowship with God. We have acted contrary to the nature, the purpose for which God has given us to live. And in so doing, we have put ourselves at enmity with God and the punishment of that, the penalty for that, the natural effects of sinning against God is death. Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, comes to wage war, not against political enemies. He comes to wage war uh, against the enemy that is sin. He comes to wage war against the effects of our rebellion against God. And yet the people who hail him as king seem to miss this entirely. Now, it's not fair to say that the crowd that hailed him as king Uh, just as several days later, was the same one that was calling uh, for his crucifixion. There's no evidence in Scripture to say that this crowd is that crowd, so try not to conflate the two in your mind. But nonetheless, they are confused about who Jesus is and what sort of king he would be. They've got all the right implements for welcoming a king and all the wrong understanding of what it means. Even Jesus riding in on that donkey, this animal of peace, is not a symbol of the kind of peace that he's going to bring to Jerusalem. It's not, it's not political peace that he's going to bring, economic peace that he's going to bring to Israel, but instead a peace, a harmony, a, a good accord. He comes to bring reconciliation with God. So when he rides in on that donkey, it's, it's, it's a statement of the kind of peace that he brings that, that goes far beyond any understanding of what peace, earthly, worldly peace looks like. Here in this moment of Palm Sunday, which, which we often celebrate year to year as we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, that last week of his life, we, we just sang, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. We sing all of these words, and yet sometimes I fear that we see Palm Sunday, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, the same way that the crowds did. We fail to look at sometimes the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem through the lens of the resurrection as the disciples did. Remember, at the end of the week, the disciples, as Jesus was being carried out to be crucified, all of his disciples scattered. Not a one of them really understood that, that when he said even earlier in his ministry that he would be delivered up and be crucified, not, not many of them understood really what all that meant. And I don't think many of them, or maybe any of them, expected it to actually happen. They thought him being king, him being Christ, him being Messiah, meant something else. Certainly not this shameful criminal's death. So on Palm Sunday, we sing, Hosanna to the king, praise the Lord, the king is here, yes, he's come. But sometimes we do so in all the right ways, but with all the wrong understanding. So the call from John 12 and all of the significance of what is going on, the deeper significance, the the spiritual effects, the kind of kingdom that Jesus will bring as he enters into the city, all of that leads us to remind ourselves, to call ourselves, to to exhort our, our hearts, to lift our eyes, to see the king for who he really is. Not a king who comes to give us prosperity. Not a king who comes to fix all of our problems in life. Not a king who comes to make sure that our preferred political candidates get elected. But a king who comes to save us from sin and reconcile us to God. We need to lift our eyes to see that this royal procession, Jesus coming into the city, this royal procession, does not end with him placing on his head a crown of gold, but rather a crown of thorns. 
This royal procession does not lead to a celebratory parade through the city at the end of the week. Instead, Jesus will be paraded through the streets as a criminal, beaten, spit upon, abused. This parade does not end. This procession does not end with the king sitting on a throne in a palace, but it ends with this king hanging on a cross outside the city. This procession does not end with a life of ease and contentment and influence in this world for the king. This procession ends with the king's death for the sins of his people. Palm Sunday is a celebratory day, yes. But as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we sing Hosanna to the King, let us lift our eyes to see the deeper context, the greater significance of what this king's entry into Jerusalem means. What it signifies, just not contentment with the political situation of our lives today, with the financial situation of our lives today. Jesus doesn't come to fix all of your relationship problems today. He comes primarily to fix the problem of sin in your life, to reconcile you to God, to do for you what you could never do for yourself Jesus doesn't come as a king to perform miracles of convenience for us, but rather to bring the miracle of salvation to us. On Palm Sunday, lift your eyes to see the king for who he really is. Christian, I exhort all of us on this celebratory, even exultant day we call Palm Sunday, do not be counted among the crowd on that first Palm Sunday who only welcomed Jesus for the sign of raising Lazarus from the dead that he had done and the signs politically related that they hoped he would do for them in the days to come. Don't be counted among those who say all the right things but have the totally wrong understanding of what they mean. See Jesus for who he is. He doesn't come to merely fix your financial situation. He doesn't come merely to to give you all of your political hopes and dreams. He doesn't come to make your life easy. He comes to make you holy. And he doesn't do it by making your life easier. He doesn't do it by eliminating temptation from your life. He doesn't make you holy by proving his strength, military strength, over the challenges and difficulties and hardships of your life. No, he comes to give you holiness by dying. By dying for you, by shedding his blood as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. Christian, don't be counted among the crowd who welcome Jesus for the signs that he does. Be counted among those who see his entry into Jerusalem through the lens of the resurrection to realize that what he came into that city, the kind of king he came as, was a far greater king than the people could have ever imagined. To bring a peace that was far beyond anything that we could ever hope for. And and to do it in the most uncommon and unexpected of ways, not by killing his enemies, but by being killed for the sake of his enemies. See Jesus for who he is. Lift your eyes. Friend, if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, you're a skeptic. You've You've been slow to maybe believe the truth claims of the gospel, that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Lord, that he comes to bring salvation. You're a skeptic who who today disbelieves because you're surrounded by many of the Christians that you know are so-called Christians who follow Jesus just for a miracle that he might do in their life. 
People who just want Jesus to get this or that candidate into office. People who go to church and call themselves Christians and and pray so that Jesus will give them stuff. You as a skeptic look at shallow Christians like that and you say, "I, I I can't buy what you're believing. Because you just treat this God like a, like a genie. And quite frankly, I can work hard and get those things for myself. Friend, if you're a skeptic this morning who is, who is slow to believe the truth of the gospel because of the shallowness of so-called Christians who only follow Jesus to see what sort of miracle he'll do next, I invite you this morning to, along with us, lift your eyes to see who Jesus really is. Not a genie in a lamp on your nightstand, that you can call when you need help, but that he is king of the universe, God in flesh, who comes not just to make your life easy, but to bring you into restored and reconciled relationship with the God who made you. He's a king who's defeated your greatest enemy, which is your sin against God. He is a king who, by his resurrection from the dead, gives you a life beyond anything that this world can give you. So if you disbelieve because of the earthy, too earthy view of some Christians about who Jesus is and what he does for us, I invite you to lift your eyes to see the spiritual, cosmic significance of the king that Jesus is. That he comes to rule and to reign not on a throne in a capital city in a nation with boundaries, but he comes to rule and reign at the right hand of God in heaven over all things and to welcome to himself as the great shepherd king all those who hear his voice and respond in faith. The kind of king that Jesus is is a far better king than we could imagine. The significance of his entry into Jerusalem is far greater than the people that day understood. And in fact, it wasn't until Jesus was raised from the dead that the disciples could get it. So as you read, as you reflect, as you think upon the events of Palm Sunday over the course of the day today and over the course of the week this week, think about it through the resurrection. Right? The, the, the end point, the, the, the hope of the gospel that we can have resurrection from the dead and eternal life with God hinges upon this king who died for sins being raised from the dead also. And so if you're looking at Jesus on his entry to Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday simply through the lens of he brings me a better life, you're going to miss it entirely. Look at it through the point of the resurrection that Jesus conquers not only sin, but he also conquers death And if he can do those two things, what else can't he do? And if he came to die and to be raised again to save us from sin, to reconcile us to God, what better thing could he do for us? Friends, let's lift our eyes to see Jesus for the king that he is. Celebrate with all the same song, Hosanna, salvation is here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Not because he comes to rule over us on a throne, but because because he comes to rule in our hearts by faith, by giving his life for us and raising his life from the dead. Christian, this morning, lift your eyes. See Jesus for the king that he is. Friend, if you're not a believer, if you're not a skeptic, I invite you, lift your eyes to see the king for who he is as scripture describes him to be. Be not deterred in belief. Don't continue in disbelief because of the shallowness, the earthiness of some people's view of Jesus, but instead see Jesus the way the Bible has described him and shown us that we ought to, that we need to see him and see if that vision is not far more compelling than the genie in a lamp on your nightstand who simply comes to help you when you're in trouble.
He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. Let us lift our eyes to receive him that way. Would you pray with me?